You are entering the steam room. Uh, it's presented by Tissot, the official watch of the NBA. And it's one of the highlights of my week. I, I'm, I'm shooting straight with you to be able to hang with Charles Barkley uh, for this hour every week and talk about whatever's on our minds and have great guests. Um, and, you know, it's a podcast that's been nominated for a Webby. How about that, Chuckster? Thank y'all. Go to go to go vote too. Yeah, we we encourage you to do that. You go to bit.ly backslash steam room vote. So you've got to click the uh, confirmation link in your email to make sure your vote counts. Um, we're gonna get to first of all in just a second, Chuckster. But can I tell you about how great a day I've had so far? How great a day this is gonna be for me? Wait, can I tell you? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Okay. So we don't have to work tonight, okay? We don't have a we don't have an NBA show because the N, the NFL draft uh, is on. So it's a night off. But here's how my day starts: coffee in the backyard, looking at the birds and the animals and all that. With, with and with Cheryl Ann sitting in the chairs out there, very nice way to go. Then I go upstairs, absolutely crush the Peloton for 45 minutes. Shout out Hannah Frankson, today's instructor, and also shout out Sam Yo. Uh, Alex Toussaint, Ben Aldis, all those instructors on there. I'm addicted to that Peloton. Um, after that, I do this. And then after this, I do a Zoom with a bunch of uh, journalism students at my alma mater, the University of Georgia. And after that, Chuckster, I do a 10-minute segment on the St. Louis Blues pregame show. And then after that, for the first time in more than a year, Cheryl Ann and I and some friends are going to actually go into a restaurant and eat a dinner. Wow. We haven't done that since last year. Ernie, are you going all out tonight? Man. It's just an Applebee's situation. No, this is Frankie's. Uh, this is a steakhouse out there in uh, in Duluth, Georgia, one of our favorite spots, man. So I've been to Frankie's for Ric Flair's birthday. Yeah, great spot. Great spot. Yep. So that's my day. I mean. Hey, who getting the check, Ernie? Oh, me. No doubt. Our neighbors and everybody's all vaxxed. And so the six of us are going out for dinner and it's going to be, it's going to be a, a fun time. And it all, it, it, I mean, every step of the, of the way today has been outstanding, including this one. Now, now that I've said all that, first of all, First of all, you know you have a lot of money when you get hunting nut Cheerios. I've had the regular Cheerios. First of all, you know anybody ride a motorcycle who makes millions of dollars is an idiot. First of all, zero plus zero is zero. First of all, for you guys who can't see, this is a hockey stick. I got a collection of hockey sticks. Ron Hextall, my favorite player of all time. Jeremy Roenick, Eric Lindros. And this is signed by the greatest ever, the GOAT, Wayne Gretzky. TNT got hockey. <laughs> hey, listen, I cannot wait, man. My boy John Cooper, head coach of the Stanley Cup Champions Lightning. Uh, I called him, give him some advice. I told him, Vasilevsky, Hetman, Stamkos, keep them in the game. You're going to be all right. <laughs> I'm excited that we got hockey. You know how I feel about the Stanley Cup playoffs. There's nothing in the world better than overtime hockey. There's no other sport where a game can end so suddenly. And there's so much pressure when you go into overtime. Every mistake is raised to a whole nother level. The most exciting thing in sports are the Stanley Cup playoffs. They are flat out amazing. 
Uh, so I cannot wait. It's tremendous. And I know how big a hockey fan you are, uh, but seven years, Turner Networks, TNT, TBS, True TV, digital platforms, uh, Bleacher Report, House of Highlights, uh, distribution platforms of the future like HBO Max. You know, I I used to love going to hockey games, Chuckster. Back in the back when you were just a, a youngin, um, back in the 70s, and I was kind of a youngin at that point too. But when the Atlanta Flames were were new to the South, playing at the Omni, you know, and I used to go down there and watch those guys all the time. It's it is an incredibly great game to watch especially live um, uh, it's so much better live i cannot wait well that's what you used to say now that we're in on this deal it's it's almost going to be better on tv i go to county games out here one of my good friends rick talks to the head coach i go to a few games all year when i went when wayne was the coach here but hey congratulations to tnt we got hockey yeah okay next let me ask you a question about the nfl drafts you ask you talking to me? I'm talking to you. No, I'm talking to the fans. Okay, good. Listen, man. You're asking the wrong guy if you're talking to me. Well, listen, trust me. We got enough jackasses on TV think they know everything about other sports, Ernie. Wait, are we gonna stick in our lane? Hey man, all these quarterbacks can't suck. Listen. <laughs> Come on now. Listen, everybody don't have to be the GOAT Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, but I'm starting to think some of you coaches can't coach. Every year it's like we got to find the right quarterback. We got to find the right quarterback. Well, everybody ain't going to be the greatest. Are y'all just sucking at coaches? I need to ask y'all that question, man. Can't y'all make y'all quarterback, like I say, they just have to be good enough but don't lose the game. But every year I'm so sick and tired of hearing about we got to find a quarterback. There's enough good quarterbacks. Y'all just got to be better coaches. So I'm sick of hearing that. Hey, ESPN, I love y'all. But, man, y'all just beat us over the head with a baseball bat, talking about football every single day, 365 days a year. I'm sick and tired of it. I want this draft to be over, and I don't want to hear about football anymore. Are you going to watch Are you gonna watch the draft pick by pick by pick by pick by pick by pick by pick? Only the first round. I never. I would never watch more than one round. I'm not a loser. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on. I'm gonna watch the first round, but that's it. I'm not gonna watch the second, third, fourth. Like you got no life. But I'm gonna watch the first round because I love football. People know football and boxing my two favorite sports. But I'm going to watch. And listen, I just want to say to the guys, tonight's gonna be one of the best nights of y'all life. The next few days. Can draft it, get an opportunity to play a silly sport. I played for 16 years, the one of the 16 greatest years of my life, and now I get to talk about it. There's nothing like playing a pro sport for a living. It's amazing. You're lucky. You're blessed. Enjoy tonight and the entire weekend uh, because it's a great honor to get drafted. Everybody's clearly not going to make it. There's free agent players who don't get drafted who are going to make it instead of guys who get drafted. So, guys, enjoy the draft, enjoy the weekend, and I hope to see y'all on TV somewhere Sundays soon. So, there you go. That's that's first of all. Yes, so sir. It's, uh, it's hockey in the NFL. Bernard, do you agree with me on the quarterback situation? Uh, I mean, there is a there is a lot of talk every time you turn on the radio or the TV about 
who's the best, who's the second best, who's got the biggest upside, who's got the highest ceiling, who's got this, this guy can't play, how about this arm strength? Yeah, it gets a little wearying. But, I think, but, but every quarterback doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. No. I don't understand why these coaches like, okay. It's the microwave society, Chuckster. Everybody wants it right now. Everybody's got to, there's nobody's given any time to do anything. Nobody's given time to develop. It's like, no, and everybody has to have a label immediately. That That's the, one of the things that kind of wears me out about this job that we do is everything is put into some, it, there's this, this feeling that everything needs to be put in its perspective right now, not tomorrow, but right now we have to know where this guy's going to rank. Right now we got to know who's, who he's taken to the playoffs. Right now we got to know if this guy's better than this guy. Can we watch him play? Can we see if if maybe the scouts aren't right all the time? You know, let's just watch them play. You know, I was I was talking to a couple of my NFL friends, and they were talking to me about the idiots like us on TV who get paid to give opinions. Mm-hmm. And they, they were saying, if you look at Troy Eggman and Peyton Manning, 20 years ago, if when they went 1-15, we would have called them a bust. Yeah. <laughs> like, they got a chance to go go down and become two of the greatest quarterbacks ever. But now, idiots and fools like us on TV every day, after six months, we tell you if a guy's a bust, if he can't play or not, drives me crazy. Yeah, and, and the fact that there's so much, Chuck, that's thrown against the wall. Uh, and, and again, I'm not saying that any one entity does this, but just in the media, so much is thrown against the wall, so little of it sticks, and nobody's really held accountable for it it's like it's like yeah i said that yeah i said the guy's going to be horrible but but in five years i'm going to sing his praises and say i told you this guy was going to be you know what i'm not going to call any names but i hate the guys on television when i say hate the guys on television i mean skip bayless who's like you weren't going to call any names well i I just can't help it ernie okay but I, i always laugh when he gets something wrong he never accepted when he gets one right he throws it out there. I was right on this guy. Yeah, you're wrong. You're wrong on four other guys. Like I could do that too. No, you do. Yeah. Hey, listen. I have no problem. I, I'm never gonna get on TV because I agree with what you said. Hey, man, let that dude play a few years before we know. We don't have to make a judgment after six months and call him a bust because we're on TV in the morning. We don't have to make a. We don't have to make a judgment because he went seventh instead of third yeah okay <laughs> it's like i told you told you it wasn't gonna work yeah i told you that wasn't stop. gonna work so that's it brother enjoy y'all night out there young guns it's a great feeling to get oh, drafted you call me young gun. oh you call him you calling them young gun. i should have known better listen you're going to the steakhouse you're good to go yeah very good it's gonna be a great night don't forget to get your steak well done no way man no way nice little medium rare action oh my god i mean it's not cooked no, that is not rare. I'm not going rare. Hey, Michael, Michael Eves, my good brother, says, yo, man, you're out here shaking tables all over America trying to cut up that well-done steak. <laughs> it's like, would you like a chainsaw, sir? Um, <laughs> all right. Hey, we have got a great discussion coming up next on a podcast you have to hear. How about that for a tease? I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah good. We'll be back. The Steam Room is presented by Tissot, the official watch of the NBA, and we welcome you back, and we have got a guest, and you are going to love this next uh, 
let's let's say uh, probably a half hour worth of conversation uh, about a, a podcast that's out there uh, that is just sensational. It's called Death at the Wing. And the best explanation or the best description of it, because I was trying to say, how am I going to describe this when I get on the pod? So here it is. How drugs, tragedy, and the Reagan revolution defined a decade of basketball. Death at the Wing is available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to explore this. uh, It's an absolutely riveting podcast. And it's the work of Adam McKay, who is our guest here on the Steam Room. And um, man, I couldn't wait to get into this with Adam, who is a director, producer, Oscar winner, Emmy winner. You name it. Uh, he's won them all. And this is going to win something, too. I'm. Uh, wow. He's won an Oscar? Yeah. The Big Short. Hey, that was one of that. That was a great, great movie. I'm not going to lie. Adam, thank you for joining us. This is going to be, I think, for all the listeners out there, uh, a very revealing look into uh, the mind of a big basketball fan and also a guy who has put a lot of work into looking at, at where that basketball interest intersected with culture and with politics. And it really is a fascinating, fascinating piece of work. So thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. I've uh, been a fan for a long, long time, you guys and your show and Charles, it's interesting. I mean, you know, this is when you you came of age is right when this podcast takes place. And it's the, you know, it's the 80s. It's when basketball exploded and became uh, first a, a, a national sport and then an international sport. And it's when our politics changed and it's when our culture changed. So, yeah, this podcast has been a real, real joy to put together. Let me point out one thing as we get started here, too, Adam, because, Chuckster, you want to fill him in on the only rule we have here in the steam room? Yeah, Adam, you have to keep your towel on in the steam room. That's the only rule we got. I think I'm out, then. I only go unnatural, gents. I'm sorry. Uh... <laughs> I know we should have saved the rule for last. Hey, that's a bad idea, because I made the mistake of going to the steam room naked. They won't let me forget it. That's how we got this podcast. <laughs> At any I would keep the towel wrapped tight out of respect, <laughs> out of respect for your careers and your stature. Uh, I will keep it wrapped tight. So let's so let's get into this, Adam, because uh, uh, death at the wing, you talk about some tragic events, um, whether that's the the death of Terry Furlow, the death of a high school player on the Chicago streets, whether it's Strazen Petrovich, but it's not like you just tell those stories, you tell them in a way that says, look, this happened in Chicago, but this is why it happened, because these laws took place. This was happening in society. How did you settle on how best to tell the story and how did you come up with this angle? So the whole the whole podcast came about from, once again, being a lifelong Hoops fan. And I would talk to friends of mine who loved the NBA And we would always talk about the great what-if stories, the tragedies of what would have happened if Len Bias had played. What would it have been like if Benji Wilson, number one player in America coming out of high school, looked like was going to be a Ben Simmons, Magic Johnson-type player, 6'7", could see the whole floor. What would have happened if he had played? And at a certain point, I noticed that list was awfully long. 
And their player after player, uh, Roy Tarpley, uh, you know, Hank Gathers, uh, Terry Furlow, um, on and on it went. And I, I started wondering, why is that? Because after that time of the 80s into the 90s, you thankfully don't see that as much anymore. But there really was this huge spate of deaths that took place in the 80s. So the beauty of podcasts is you can kind of dive into it with the question intact. And that was our goal was to figure out what was going on. Why were we losing these bright young talents back then? But once again, thankfully, you don't see it as much anymore in the NBA or, or most other sports at large too. And yeah, what we discovered was the eighties were just a time of rapid change, huge explosion in media, cable television. You had, you know, taxes being cut. So you had this explosion of wealth for the top 0.1%, incredible pressure, uh, pressure on the league to put out an image. So there really wasn't a whodunit. It wasn't like one person was killing these guys, but what you realized was that it was a whole just change and period in America that interacted with these deaths. And uh, honestly, we could have, sadly, once again, enough people passed away, we could have just kept doing episode after episode. But we've sort of zeroed in on some lost talents that we really felt uh, were emblematic of that time. You know, Adam, I happened to be in Chicago to play the Bulls when Ben Wilson got killed. I mean, it, it, it dominated the news the two days we were there. Everybody was walking around so quiet because everybody was in shock because he went from one being the best player in the country, leading his team to this championship. And then when that, I'd say I've never seen a city that sad or upset about a young kid passing away. It was, it was incredible. I mean, people, I, I think some people forget. I mean, Chicago players like Derrick Rose and Nick Anderson, and like you remember this vividly, Jesse Jackson spoke at his funeral. This was a huge deal. This was the first high school player from Illinois who was ever number one in the country. And he wasn't just a great player. He was a different player. And he died over a stupid altercation on a street corner. You know, two young kids who wouldn't back off. And one of the kids who we interview in the podcast, uh, the, the actual shooter, you know, had a gun because he was trying to get some money back for his cousin who had been ripped off. Neither one of them backed down. And in that moment, you had three lives ruined. You had, you know, obviously Benji Wilson, and then you had the shooter who was 16 years old, and you had his 15-year-old buddy who just went to jail as well. And so, yeah, we really look at what put those people on that street corner. Why were guns so readily available? Why did Benji Wilson die? I mean, it's really sad. They had him in the hospital for three hours. They just let him sit there while he bled to death. The underlying sort of implication is they thought he was just another gangbanger and the hospital wasn't properly equipped. We just look at all of that. And then the good side of it is we look at how the NBA and how the basketball community has really learned from these experiences to the point where I would argue the NBA is the best sports league in the world right now as far as the players are really good at being famous. The league is really good at letting the players speak out, have a voice. It's obviously all the talent goes to the NBA. There's no other league, even in soccer, where if you're the best, you have to go to the NBA. So it's a happy ending for basketball in the NBA. It's really remarkable where the league is now, but it wasn't without hard lessons learned back in the 80s coming into the 90s. No, I think it's really an educational 
experience to listen to it. And Chuck, I'd love to hear your take as, as you talk to Adam about this, because in that first episode, and I've listened to six of them, uh, most recently the Drazen Petrovich uh, episode, but that Terry Furlow episode, and you talk about the Studio 54 mentality and and the different levels of, of who could get into Studio 54 and who had to be taken care of and that kind of thing, and who wanted to live that lifestyle and maybe wasn't ready to live that lifestyle. But that was, the, that was what the NBA was kind of looking at at that point, Adam, and it took its toll. Yeah, I mean, you really saw there was a couple things going on. First off, if you were rich in the 70s and the 80s, and Hollywood was a big part of this, you look at Wall Street, people did cocaine. That was the drug that was really expensive. I've talked to people when I was at Saturday Night Live. I asked some of the old timers, like, what did you guys think of coke? They didn't know that it was deadly addictive, that you could lose your mind. They thought it was like a fun party drug to stay up all night. So, you know, America being America, when the NBA guys were doing it, well, you got people of color. People freaked out 10 times more. But meanwhile, Hollywood's doing it. Wall Street's doing it. Rich people are doing it everywhere. So sadly, off of these deaths like Terry Furlow and Len Bias, you saw these really draconian laws passed that put a lot of young African-Americans in prison for generation after generation with ridiculous sentencing laws. So, you know, the NBA learned about this drug and improved and really came up eventually with a, a great drug policy, but society at large sort of used it as a scapegoat to target a lot of young African-American men and destroy a lot of families and, and a lot of communities. So it's, you know, it's it, once again, the NBA somehow emerges from these crazy times better for it while America at large keeps getting dinged. It's, it's a really interesting interaction between the two. You know, it's a lot of stuff going on there. I, I thought the NBA policy on drugs sucked, uh, Adam. You know, if you go back and look, and I, that's when I was just getting started in the uh, 80, 84. And I had a brother who was a junkie who died at a young age. So I did a lot of studying and learning about drugs. Uh, rest in peace, uh, my brother Daryl. Let me tell you something. The NBA had a shitty policy. Terrible. After learning all the stuff about drugs, I realized their policy was to send you away for 30 days and get you back to play basketball. That was an awful policy. Uh, I, I mean, we know that now, but at the time, I mean, going back, I mean, I could take name 20, 30 guys. They went away for a month and came back. They wanted you back. They had to pay you. Uh, but that was an awful policy. Nobody gets over drugs in 30 days, especially if you put them back in a drug environment. 100%. The NBA has gotten a lot better, but I want to say something, Ernie. You got to remember something. The two most important figures, I've, I said this all the time, and it's called the truth. The two most important figures in NBA history are Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Listen, the NBA was, and he, and he just talked about it. The NBA was too black, too many drugs, and it wasn't making money. The finals was on tape delay. They only showed games one day a week every Sunday, and it was always the Celtics or the Lakers. Everybody knew the parquet floor by then. Yes. And so people forget because guys are making 20, 30, $40 million. Now, I remember the first time an NBA player made a million dollars. We were walking around high-fiving each other. And it was Magic Johnson. He signed $25 million for 25 years. But Magic Johnson and Larry Bird saved the NBA because if it wasn't for those two guys, we wouldn't have we, we wouldn't be near where we are today. And then you know, Charles, because you've experienced this right at the time that Larry and Magic hit the league, and Dr. J too. He was an important star, as you well know. 
cable TV hits. It's we actually talk about it in this show. It's the launch of this cable satellite goes up and changes everything. And suddenly people have cable TV because when I was a kid living outside Philly, I could only see the Sixers games on my weird UHF channel. I couldn't watch any of the other teams. I didn't know who Dave Bing was. I didn't know who any of these other players were playing for the other teams. I'd see them when they come through Philly. Uh, but when ESPN hit, when the Superstation hit, when all that stuff hit, and you had stars like Bird, Magic, and, and let's not beat around the bush. You, you were huge, man. And when you guys landed and cable TV collided with it, and it was cool. And by the way, hip hop was landing too. Hip hop became a force in culture. I remember you got name checked in an early Public Enemy song, and we just thought, oh, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and it was that collision right at the right time. And, you know, the football players got to wear helmets to cover up their face. And then basketball, when the street style from the ABA, the creativity started coming in, there was just nothing cooler. It was amazing. Hey, what part of Philly are you from? So I went to Temple University, but I grew up uh, outside Philly at the time. It was a little crappy town called Malvern. Okay. Yeah, now it's kind of fancy. But back then, you know, we were poor as crap. And uh, I saw you playing ball at a couple courts outside Philly wearing ankle weights when you were uh, practicing. <laughs> ankle weights, yeah. So my, my daughter went to Villanova, and I still live in Philly during the summer, and Malvern is, Malvern is awesome. I live over in Lowell, Marion. Shout out to Kobe Bryant. I think about him every day during the summer when I'm in Philly because I drive by his high school, and even before he passed away, Every time I drove by that high school, which is at least once or twice a day, I said, that's where Kobe Bryant went to high school. So I miss my man, rest in peace. But do you ever get back to Philly? I do. I mean, obviously the uh, quarantine has messed all that up, but I still got relatives there. In fact, Mikhail Bridges for the Suns went to my high school. And uh, I rode the bench at my high school. I was not, not much of a player, but uh, Great Valley Senior High, and uh, I love Philadelphia. I still consider that my hometown. Like whenever I go back, it just feels right. But I want to go back to a point Charles said about the drug policy. He's absolutely right. The drug policy was terrible in the 80s. And really one of the deaths that changed it around was Reggie Lewis. Because after Reggie Lewis died, there was a debate. Was it a heart defect or was it cocaine? But regardless of that, what came out was the drug policy was really just all show and no go. They were... They were prosecuting rookies. Like Charles said, they were sending people away for, and then just saying like Roy Tarpley, Richard Dumas, get back, start playing. And then after Reggie Lewis, the league really started realizing we got to go deeper. We got to have a real drug policy where you can come forward, where you can do rehab. And I also think Charles, and I'm curious what you would have to say to this. Was it also something the players like you, you got your guys amongst yourself started to kind of figure out too? like, did players start to say, stay away from this stuff just amongst yourself, knowing it would ruin careers? You know, it's interesting, Adam. I've been asked that question a few times and I don't really know the answer because in my 16 years in the NBA, I never saw cocaine. Now that I played with some druggies, hell yeah. But the problem with the with people who do drugs, they don't really share that information except the other guys who do drugs. You know, and obviously I'm biased because my brother died at a, at a young age. So I'm really anti-drugs. 
but none of my teammates ever offered me drugs. Uh, like I say, maybe I'm overly sensitive on the subject, but I'm not stupid enough to think they were not doing drugs. And listen, I think it's one of those things also, I'm going to be honest with you, like, we don't know what everybody's doing. And quite frankly, we don't care. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, that's when I played with guys who were smoking pot. I'm not a pot smoker, but they want to smoke pot. Hey, man, get your ass to the game on time and do your job. Uh, so when I learned about their policy, when I was going through all the, I mean, I put my brother in eight rehabs. Then I didn't realize all that money I was spending. They still only had like a 20% success rate, even the best facilities in the world. I, I was so young and dumb. I'm talking like, well, everybody go to rehab, going to get cured. They're like, yeah, young fella, it really doesn't work like that. So this notion that you go to rehab for 30 days and you come back into a drug-infested environment, uh, it, 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 was a, it, was, it was just an awful situation. And, and it's a lot better today, thank goodness. Adam, you also get into uh, like the mental health aspect, too. And, um, and I like the way you tie in stories from the past. You're talking about Ricky Berry, but you're also talking about um, the present-day players who are being encouraged to come out and say, hey, look, I'm struggling with this and, and, and can do that without being ostracized by their teammates. That's one thing. The other is the in international influence in the NBA when you talk about the Drazen Petrovic situation. And you took me back. I, I mean, when I was doing local sports in Atlanta back in the 80s, I remember we sent a crew with the Hawks to the Soviet Union where Mike Fratello was there with, with the Hawks, um, you know, making Italian dinners for these guys and playing games and trying to break down barriers and that kind of thing. We've just seen so much in this transformation of the league. Man. It's amazing. That Hawk story is one of my favorites, too. And and it's another great example of the mental health. There was a, a really terrifically talented player named Ricky Berry, drafted by the Kings, could shoot the lights out, 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, they called him Reggie Miller with a handle. Well, guess what? Back in the 80s and 90s, you didn't talk about your feelings. Like you, People would roll their eyes at you or think you're weird. This poor guy was suffering, had no outlet took his own life uh, in the same exact podcast. We interviewed Jerry West the, yeah. and he openly talks about his mental health struggles that he had. And here's one of the toughest, baddest guys you're ever going to meet. Just talking about his depression, anxiety. And then you, we transition into Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan. These guys talking about this out loud. I mean, it's an amazing story. And the NBA is so far ahead of the other leagues with it. They're saving lives. I mean, for fans to hear these players be open. And you guys know when you keep a dark secret, it gets big and it gets stronger. And to say this stuff out loud is really an incredible thing. So it's really been an interesting journey going through all these stories and seeing why the NBA learned and grew. And, and, and it wasn't perfect. It wasn't a straight line. There's been bumpy times, but you look at where it is now. The story I always tell is this story and it involves you guys. I was watching your guys' show and the Iraq war had been going on for about eight months. And Charles and Kenny, in the middle of a basketball show, go, I think Charles said, like, Kenny, man, I don't know about this Iraq war. I think they lied to us. I think this George W. Bush is a lousy president. I was at home. I called my wife in. No other media was doing this. Like, our press was pretty cowed during that time. No one was kind of speaking the truth. I'm watching an NBA show with a Hall of Fame player, championship player, and Kenny Smith, you guys on there talking about it. 
And it was a remarkable moment. There's just no other league where you would see something where the players have that kind of, you know, power and voice. And it's also why the league works, too. It's exactly why it's so successful. Adam, I, I want to say something what you said earlier. You know, when you're playing basketball, these guys are your friends. And when they're doing stupid things, we're not psychiatrists at all. And we don't know any better. It is cool that these guys are getting to speak now. But I, I feel so bad that I wasn't smart enough. There was no help around when, when I was with some of these young guys in high school, college, and especially in the NBA. I, I, I congratulate DeMar and Kevin for speaking. But, man, I wish I had been smart enough or I could have got some of these guys some help. And we wouldn't have a lot of these tragic stories because, you know, man, I think that you just naming guys who were famous. And I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. You go back and look, 80% of us are broke. I'm not I'm talking about professional athletes in general. And the rest of us got some serious issues, whether it's uh, alcohol, drugs, and things like that. But I can say I've been in this thing since 1984. And, man, there's so many guys that I regret. Like, man, that, that guy was – he was struggling. You know, we made fun of him on the bus. We made fun of him on the plane because we were too stupid to know, like, you know, that man is really struggling. That's my biggest regret of my career. As part of that, Charles, in the, with the dynamic of, a, of being teammates and spending so much time together that if you do step in, then it's like, hey, mind your business. I can, I can live my life. I mean, is there kind of that, is that the thing that maybe held you back from saying, you know, I really need to talk to this guy or, or that, you know, he's a grown man, let him handle his stuff. There, there's a couple of things, Ernie. Uh, number one, every team has a click and you hang out with your guys and those other guys, whether they, they know each other, they're from the same part of the country or went to college together, every team develops a click. And you really don't concern yourself with the other clique because they're going doing different things, good or bad. We're going to do things good or bad. Like we get together in the morning for practice and that's like an hour and a half to two hours and everybody go their separate way. And we might see each other that night if we have a game, but you go to dinner with your two friends and they go to dinner with whoever they're with. So we're not having a bunch of, sensational conversations with these guys that like this notion that everybody's getting together and having fun. No, you got, for some reason, like I say, a lot of has to do with age because you know, you draft a young kid and you're 32, you ain't got nothing in common with no 18, 19 year old kid. He going to hang out with the other 19 year old kids. I'm going to hang out with Dr. J and Moses because they're 34, 35 like me. And that's the way teams work. Hey, uh, I know Adam that you got to bounce, uh, and and we appreciate your time. This is this is great work. Death at the Wing, uh, get it wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for not only the way you told the story, but you can tell that you were once the head writer at SNL just from the George Mikan material uh, that you intersperse uh, throughout <laughs> throughout this podcast. It's uh, it's tremendous. 
great work on this thing, man. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ernie, Charles, such a pleasure. And so glad you guys enjoyed the podcast and, uh, keep on keeping on. I've, I've just been a fan since the very beginning and I just love what you guys do. All right. Thank you. Keep up the great work. You know, it's something Chuck too, you know, we know what's amazing. I was listening again over the last day and a half or so. I listened to, to all six of those things and I had forgotten as he's talking about Drazen Petrovich. And they played a clip when I was interviewing him about his relationship with Vlade Divac in the middle of all this uh, Serbia, Croatia, and that these good friends wouldn't talk to each other. And Petrovic was like, no, I, he's a great guy. He said, but given what's going on between our countries, I can't, I can't speak with him. It's something that I had forgotten until I heard that on the podcast. Can you imagine how weird it was for the NBA players? Yeah. Like, we went from one day... Guys being like me, you, Ernie, Kenny, and Shaq on TV having fun till we can't speak to each other. I mean, it was so crazy. And like I say, we, we're in the middle of this as NBA players too, Ernie. Like, we all know, like, because there's nothing like that has ever happened in our life. Uh, and let me tell you something, that team, that that's the only team we ever were about before they broke up into separate countries. They had a wonderful, great team. They had a bunch of NBA players. Yeah. To my point, to see two guys that you, you did the interview, to go from guys who are best friends, can't speak to each other, that is crazy. Uh, again, it's called Death at the Wing. What I liken this to was when I first – the first podcast I ever listened to was Serial, um, which was <clears> – <throat> talked about that murder trial um, in it was about 10 or 12 parts at least that it had in there. And how I could not wait for the next episode to come out so I could listen to it like on a 45-minute drive home. Same feeling on this. Uh, the storytelling is unbelievable. It comes from a basketball junkie. But it also comes from a guy with his eye on society and his eye on uh, the political situation at the time. It is really well done. I got to quit raving about it. We've done enough of that. But Death at the Wing, check it out. Well, the good thing about it, too, is, man, anytime I love when people bring up those old great players. Drogdon Petrovic was great. You know, Len Bias, Terry Furlow, uh, you know, Roy Tarpley. I mean, it's been so many great players that we don't even talk about anymore. Drogdon Petrovic, man, that was pretty cool. Our thanks once again to Adam McCabe. And we've got more coming up. It's presented by, of course, so the official watch of the NBA. And as I check my watch, it's time to take a break. We welcome you back to the steam room. Ernie Johnson, along with Charles Barkley. Great conversation we just had with Adam McKay. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us this afternoon. That was uh, really insightful. We don't have a legend with us today. Tim Kiley's still on vacation. Wait a minute. Who gets two weeks vacation in the middle of the season? Apparently, the longtime producer, executive producer of Inside the NBA, Tim Kiley. Hey, feel free to give me a vacation, TNT. That's okay. Man, that's uh, it's impressive. That's a, it's a good couple of week call. He's going to come back so refreshed and ready to go. So it's time for Chuck's answering machine. The number is 404-987. Is it 987? We've done the show like 500 times. You should know the number by now. Chuck, what's the number of your answering machine? 404-591-3622. How close am I? You got the 404. 
Hey, if I had to pull that out of my ass, it would have been a miracle. Yeah, it's true. The number is 404-987-0330. You're writing it down. It's your answering machine. No, no, no. I wrote myself to call Cap later. (laughs) I did. Michael Kaplan, the producer. Uh, Audrey Martin at the controls today, doing an unbelievable job. Uh, Don't forget Abby and Asia and SAC. Yeah, Sack is doing the technical aspect today. He's our engineer. And Audrey, who uh, I refer to as Junior, because when she first started at Turner, she was the junior publicist. Now she's a big wig and does the inside story and all that. A valued member of the team. Um, Wow. Well, way to paint it up, Ernie. Yeah, she's at the controls today. That's why the show has gone so smoothly. Um, and that's probably why you want to call Cap and tell him, hey, when Junior was in charge, this thing flowed unbelievably. Anyway, I was getting to uh, Chuck's answering machine. Got a few calls. Spin it. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Chuck and Ernie, my dudes, it's Harry. Loyal steamer Harry, as I'm known among my people. Look, man, congrats to you and the entire steam room team on your Webby Award nomination. I got nominated to separate category, no competition. But I made a video about my dreams coming true, playing drums, touring all these NBA arenas, and the fact that I'm even eligible for a thing that can be won by Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson, it just makes me so insanely grateful that I decided I'm going to donate 50 drum sets to 50 schools across the 50 United States if I win, because that's how I got my start, as a school in Alabama that had a donated drum set. So if you deem this worthy, feel free to let my fellow steamers know Number one, they got to vote for you at bit.ly slash steamroomvote. And number two, as soon as that's done, they can use the search bar to type dude. So to vote for my piece, dude thoughts. Do it for the kids, man. And keep those towels on, fellas. Thanks. Peace. Harry, that's a great call right there, man. I, I love that. And, and, and to donate 50 drum sets, that's, that's tremendous. Well, I tell you what, Harry, if you win... I'll donate 50 drum sets, too. So that'll make it an even 100. So, Harry, if you win, you get back in touch with the TNT family, and I'll donate 50 sets also, brother. That's great stuff, and I hope he wins a Webby. You know, anytime we have a drummer on the podcast, I think of two movies, Chuckster. What what two movies do I think of? Oh, uh, wait, Whiplash? Whiplash, yes. Have you watched it yet? I have not. It was nominated for the best picture. I, I and know. You know uh, J.K. He's one of my favorite actors, but I haven't seen him in that role. I've got to admit that. You've got to watch that, man. That is such a good watch. And of course, the other drumline. Drumline, man. Yeah. Nick Cannon. You can't kick me off the line. I'm the best drummer you got. Well, he he had a bad attitude. He had to go. <laughs> Sound of Metal. Now that you're talking about drums, too. Sound of Metal, which was uh, nominated for best picture this year. Also, you, seen, uh, you seen that thing, No Man Land? Yes. Yes. Saw that. Frances McDormand. Oh, man. She's tremendous. She's a great actor. I've watched a few of those Best Picture nominees here in the last couple of weeks. There's some good work this year, man. There was some good. There was some good. Uh, my man, Daniel Kalia, Trial of Chicago 7. I'm going to try to get to those this weekend. Uh, I'll guarantee you when we talk next week, you will, you're still going to be trying to get to them. Just like you've been trying to get to Whiplash for the last four years. I, I think I've had several chances to watch Whiplash. I just love well, to see it. Well, do it. 
No, I just like to express it on your face when I said I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I know. It is It is starting to piss me off a little bit. Uh, let's go to the next call. What's up, gents? This is James from Virginia. I was watching the Oscars this weekend, and it got me thinking. If TNT did a biopic of Inside the NBA, what famous actor would play you guys? And I know they're not part of the podcast, but I need answers for Shaq and Kenny as well. You too, TK. Who's going to bring home that coffee cup scene with you and Ernie? Still waiting on my invite for the Black Masters? Love your show. Thanks, guys. Um, let me think. Uh, okay, Bradley Cooper's playing me. Oh, my God. Bradley Cooper plays me. <laughs> and, 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 and when you're talking about that scene with the coffee cup, let's see. Um, fill some time here, Chuckster. I'm trying to. You know who would play me in a movie? In my early days, it would be The Rock, because we got similar bodies. <laughs> now that I'm an elder statesman, it'll be James Earl Jones. Okay. And if and if Bradley Cooper's busy, then Ryan Gosling will play me. And then for that coffee cup scene when TK and I are having the argument, uh, and then I throw the coffee cup. How about Ed Nams playing you? That, that That's possible, too. The uh, Bradley Cooper thing... It's probably not going to work out for you. Uh, but who would play TK? Um, because I'm thinking, okay, I, give me his name uh, in War Dogs. Um, Do you ever see War Dogs? I don't think I have. Or Moneyball? First of all, uh, Moneyball, Brad Pitt was awesome in Moneyball. I love that movie. Uh-huh. Um, um, TK, how about um, Anthony Hopkins? Jonah Hill is who I'm thinking of. Jonah Hill as Tim Kiley. That's pretty good on TK. Yeah. Uh, for Shaq, uh, George Murison. <laughs> and playing the role of Kenny the Jet Smith, Chris Rock. Um, trying to think. Chris Rock. Oh, my God. Chris Rock will never take no crappy role like that. <laughs> if he were playing a legend like Kenny the Jet Smith, he would. Oh, my goodness. Who would play Michael Kaplan? Who would play Cap on the podcast part of it? Oh, my man who played McLovin in... Uh, <laughs> McLovin, as, McLovin as Michael Kaplan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, I hope that answered the question. I have a feeling it didn't, but uh, next. Hello, Sir Charles. Hey, EJ. This is M, Loyal Steamer, calling in from Macanda a little town in southern Illinois. I'm a loyal steamer, and I just wanted to let you guys know that I voted for the Steam Room in the Webby Awards for Best Sports Podcast. And I thought maybe EJ and TK and the team could come up with some kind of challenge for Charles when we win this Webby. And last of all, I just want to say thank you. You guys are so fun to listen to, so positive, and I just really appreciate you. See, I've been going through some really difficult cancer treatment for about four years now. I'm only 39 years old. This is not the way I plan to spend my 30s. But these days, I always listen to the steam room when I'm on my way to treatment. And it always makes me feel better. Puts me in a good mood. Reminds me to be nice and kind and loving, even when I'm having a bad day. So thank you, guys. And keep doing what you're doing. So EJ. What's that challenge going to be when we win this Webby? Bye, guys. That's something. 
That's uh, yeah, man. Emily Veach. Uh, Emily, we uh, number one girl, bless you and get well. Shout out to all the doctors and nurses working with you. But Emily, good luck to you. And um, that's tough, man. But w w listen, we glad to give you a smile every week dealing with us, us, us idiots on a podcast. We glad to bring a little joy to your life. And you know what, Chuckster, as I, as I listened to that phone call, I was sent by Michael Kaplan, our producer, an article from back in September that chronicled Emily's story. And, and it is a fascinating one. She's 38, embarked on a 2,400-mile cross-country road trip to move closer to family. The journey allowed Veach to reclaim independence in a time when both her health and the state of the world could feel out of control. You know what? We need to have her on the pod. Let's have her on. We need to do that and, and just talk about what she's done in the course of this cancer battle and doing that in the midst of the pandemic, which has sparked also this 2,400-mile cross-country trip. We got to do it. Yeah, but it's got to be challenging because, like, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know how it worked with cancer, but like, didn't most hospitals not allow anybody around except people who had the COVID situation? They canceled like a lot of services just to deal with this, this pandemic. No, it just, I'm looking at this online and it sounds like a story we just got to hear firsthand from her. So when we have her on, then we can talk about a, a challenge because it's going to have to be a challenge that meets some certain criteria, judging from what she's done in her life. Um, you know, I got the perfect spot for her. When we're supposed to interview the idiot legendary Tim Kiley, let's cut his part out and do her. Or how about this? We'll say, hey, Emily, thanks for being on the pod. Would you mind talking to Tim Kiley so Charles and I don't have to on this one? That'll work great. And she could talk to TK. Because I, 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 I definitely get sick of talking to him. Mm. Emily, or M, as you said, when you called the answering machine, Thanks for the call. Thanks for the um, encouragement. And thank you for uh, the inspiration that you provide. And uh, I know we've got your contact information. And if you're game for being on the podcast, we would love to have you and just talk about what's, what's happening in your life. And I'll say this to you, and I'm sure you've heard it in the course of four years of treatment, because it was said to me, you may have cancer, but it doesn't have you. Um, so you just keep on being Emily Veach and keep kicking it. All right. And, and watch for a call from us. Cause we want you on the show. Yes. A great way to end it. What a great way to wrap things up. I see. I told you my, I was having an unbelievable day, Chuckster. And that just, that's just a part of the day. That's you unbelievable. You to hang with me, consider it an awesome day, but Hey, listen, who's counting. Anyway, that's not exactly where I was going as we wrapped up the show, but uh, continue to pat yourself on the back. Try not to pull anything in the process. Thanks everybody. Thanks loyal steamers. It's always great to hear from you. And it's always great to know you're on the other end of this thing um, as we kind of, you know, spend an hour, hour and a half just saying whatever's on our mind and maybe putting a smile on your face. That puts a smile on ours. You guys have a great week. Talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.